Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Special thanks to Dr. Craig Keener and Dr. Uh, Jim Bilby and Peter Kapsner. We had a ton of fun. If you missed any of the last hour, oh, you're going to want to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out, Afternoons with Bill Arnold, a webpage, and click the podcast and pass that on. That was some deep, heavy thinking. And I, the reason I say that, because I hardly opened my mouth once. So that's <laughs> part of why it works so well. But I did keep uh, Dr. Jim uh, Bilby and Dr. Peter Kapsner over for this half hour because I wanted to do some decompression and also answer some questions. I've got some great theological minds here in the studio. So let's ask away. Gentlemen, welcome back to Hour 2. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. That was just Thanks, phenomenal. Bill. I mean, I felt like I was sitting in back in, a, in some sort of seminary class with my favorite professor who actually makes sense, too, at the same time. It was, I could have sat there with him for quite some time. Yeah, that was really one. cool. It was really good. And I just yeah. love his heart. Yeah, he just, for sure. just has such a good heart. Yeah. All right, let me get this question asked. I've got a listener that wants to know about how to answer this question. He has um, a parent he wants to talk to, and the parent would say, if God created the earth, why didn't he warn Adam that Satan would be in the garden? That's a problem. That's a theological question. That seems like that should be yours, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I mean, let's say he would have warned uh, Adam and Eve that Satan was in the garden. You think that would change things much? Right? So uh, I think we sometimes think, oh, well, if he would have just said, you know, I don't know about you, but if I'm just aware that there's yeah. things out there that might trip me up, that just makes it so much easier to avoid those things, right? <laughs> I see. I mean, yeah. So I, I just, I, I, th- I think the assumption there is, if we're just aware of the evil that's in this world, that we can just magically resist this. And and I, I just, I think that's probably false. It's maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm less pious th- than than you guys, but uh, <laughs> I'm very aware of the various things that might trip me up out there. I still get, you know, tempted by that and tripped up by that. So. Um, I also think that if when God created human beings and he created human beings with the capacity to say yes to God, that required that they also had the capacity to say no to God. And so this was the temptation. This was the test. This was the opportunity to continue to believe what God, you know, that what God said about himself was true or believe the lies that were being said by the serpent, by the tempter, by the serpent, uh, um, and so I, I think there, you know, whether or not, uh, there was going to be Satan in the garden or whether it would be after, or whether it would be, we had to, in, you know, we had to, uh, ask the question, do you actually believe what God says or not? And yeah. so it would have, it, we would have had to engage that anyway. Yeah. Certainly a warning doesn't prevent any kind of specific behavior at all. I mean, I think about all the warnings that I've had in my life growing up, you think, you know, you've got four kids, Jim, I've got five. And how many times have we warned our kids maybe about something that is unknown to them? And yet that warning doesn't actually stop the behavior. So I think. I can sympathize with the question, but I don't think, to your point, the warning would have changed the outcome at the end of the day. Yeah. Great answer. All right. Here's a listener named Arthur. He sent me this quote, which is great. It's a William Booth quote. He's the founder of Salvation Army. And he said in the, in the uh, quote, the chief danger that confronts the coming century 
will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. That was a hundred and some years ago. Boy, there's a lot in that. So I'm zeroing in right now on the idea. It was salvation without... Uh, Religion without the Holy Ghost. Okay. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance. And salvation without regeneration. Without regeneration, I think. And I I think that's one that that catches my attention almost immediately, that there's this idea that you can make a decision to position yourself properly one side or the other, heaven or hell, Mm -hmm. but then somehow discipleship got divorced from that or the idea of a continued following of Jesus got divorced from that as if really what this boils down to and what salvation and the gospel is, is that um, I'm headed to hell, but uh, there's a pathway through a ritual that I can do, whether in some traditions it's a baptism or in other traditions it's making a declaration of faith or an altar call, but there's something I can do to get myself positioned rightly for heaven and then go on from there. I don't know about you, Jim, but I know that that has been a really common understanding among so many evangelical students that have come through my classes over the past 10, 15, 20 years. And um, then they wonder, they ask questions, well, can I lose my salvation? And and maybe we didn't have a robust enough understanding of salvation to begin with. Yeah. I mean, so often when, when we make salvation just about punching our ticket into heaven, right, we don't have any notion of regeneration. Right. We don't have any notion of discipleship. And then suddenly we're bouncing through our life and, you know, uh, things go wrong. Now suddenly we're wondering if we've lost our salvation when we probably didn't have a robust enough <laughs> notion of salvation in the first place. A notion of that's why I, I really hate it when we call Christians believers, mm. right? I mean, James two nineteen is really really clear that merely believing in God isn't a big deal, right? So right. you believe in God, so what? Even Satan the demons do that. Rough paraphrase there. <laughs> um, so. I don't think we need should call ourselves believers. I think we need to call ourselves disciples or yeah. followers or something that involves an active, uh, this is something about who we are, not just about, you know, we've just punched our ticket into heaven. And so, but, but I think William Booth is exactly right. This is a notion that is so common. It's ubiquitous in the 20th century that we have this sort of watered down notion of Christianity that's actually doesn't have much Christ in it, and certainly mm-hmm. not much real following of Christ. Yeah, I think we need to elaborate a little bit on what you said, Jim, because the the idea of believing, I mean, that to me is the central decision, the central right. thing that a person does in order to receive salvation. So help me understand what you yeah. said, because it was confusing to me. Right, so I would say believing is important. Believing is not uh, sufficient. Well, right? it's a different kind so, of believing, right? We're not just talking about whether something is true. We're talking about a, a yielded life as the belief of the text is what we're talking about. Exactly. So okay, when, that's it, helpful. when somebody says, I believe, right? Uh, it's like uh, it, the mere fact that I believe that my wife exists, does that mean I have a great relationship <laughs> with her? No. No, not a bit, right? No. So w- when if, you know, I can imagine uh, God's, God's reaching down to us with his, you know, with, with his heart and, you know, desiring to be in relationship with us and desiring to have this just powerful connection. And we say, I believe you exist or I believe you created things or something like that. So I would say mere belief, uh, the merely assenting that God exists is not what salvation is about. Maybe it requires, sure, we have to acknowledge that God exists before we can have a relationship with God, but mere belief, you know, Again, the James 2.19 passage, so you believe that God exists, so what? Yeah. Right? 
that isn't what salvation's about. Salvation requires so much more in terms of, yes, the intellectual dimension, acknowledging God exists, but it's crucially the heart dimension where we embrace uh, our relationship. And then I would say also the then hands dimension that we're then because of how the fact that we, our heart is given to God and that we have been transformed and we've been redeemed and we have been regenerated, then, then we then act in the world uh, and participate in what God is doing in the yeah. world. That, that, it's that, it, that uh, our notion of belief is so often just this purely intellectual stripped down thing but the biblical notion of belief is so much more robust. Right, right. Like, yeah, I have the full allegiance. I give God my full yeah. allegiance. Yeah, there's a sense even in that passage. I think John, I got that word from yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did, I think. Yeah. But just that really even that famous evangelistic passage of John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he sends his son, so whoever believes... That word belief there is an ongoing action that we do. It's not a one-time event. It is, it's the ongoing bent knee that the very posture of my life becomes in an ongoing way an increasingly yielded life. And, and so to, to believe something in the biblical standpoint is going to um, move me into a place of yielding and, and bent knee. But even, Jim, I think ideas of salvation, too, can get reduced or truncated. And yes, of course, heaven and hell are part of this salvation sort of word and package, but salvation just simply means rescuing and healing, kind of this combination sort of thing that's going on. And, and in the biblical text, salvation is both something that we can anticipate in its fullness on the other side, but it is a it is an ongoing rescuing from the power of sin in this life. It's an ongoing healing of our disfigurement from yeah. sin in this life. So that's the regeneration part of yeah. salvation. To even split those two apart is maybe a bit of a misnomer because yeah. salvation and regeneration are all in one big package. Exactly. I mean, it, we, we so often want to just make salvation about something that's happened in the past that's punched my ticket in the future. But yes, we have been saved. We are being right. saved and we will be saved. And that notion of we are being saved has current right now implications for how I treat my neighbor yep. and how I, you know, engage the the news and all the difficulties in this current world. That uh, so salvation is not just about this thing that Jesus did a long time ago, so I can go to heaven, you know, sometime in the future when I die. It has to have current right now implications for how we live my life. Okay, yeah. let's let's bring up Acts, Acts sixteen. The Philippian jailer converted. Um, he brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Yeah. So believe is how we translate this. But the problem is our notion of belief is such a, we, 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 the, the Greek word there is pistis, right? right. So the, the notion of, of the meaning of the word pistis would be much more like have allegiance to. Okay. That's, I think, a better translation. Yeah, that's way better. Yeah. Um, so the, the notion of belief isn't just a, intellectual assent it's mm-hmm. a more like i believe in my wife i it's not just i acknowledge that she exists i trust her i mm-hmm. love her i it's 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 she's who i'm about right so um so that the notion that of that i think a better translation of that is this idea of a, having allegiance to and really kind of lining up this is who i'm lining up behind this is this is the path that i'm walking yeah here's a text from a listener named mrs bilby you better be (laughs) (laughs) that's good i know she's not she's working thank you very much we'll we'll take a little break if you have questions or you want to jump into this conversation please do 877-933-9673 
2484. That's the text line. I'll say it again. 933-2484-877-93. Faith, be right back. Hmm. Dr. Jim Bilby and Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guests. We're chatting about whatever you want to talk about, but we're uh, talking about a really uh, interesting quote by um, William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army. So this is uh, 100 plus years old. Amazing. And we're talking about uh, salvation without generation. He was saying that this is one of the chief dangers that's conf- that is going to confront the coming century. Um, this would be Religion without the Holy Ghost, uh, salvation without regeneration. I find this one interesting. Heaven without hell. That seems to mm. be a little bit more popular nowadays. If you if you have uh, if you want to attract new people to be at your church, you, I don't know how popular is it to talk about sin and hell. Yeah, I mean, Jim, what have you seen in your twenty some odd years of teaching, and and how do you address hell? in your theology courses, because clearly there's been an evolution in people's thinking to try to even drive hell out of the equation. And and we've seen some pretty popular books do those sorts of things. And and, I mean, what have you seen? Yeah. So I I, I would say that there's a problem, you could say, kind of coming from both sides on this, right? So there's maybe one segment of the population that wants to make Jesus just cute seven pound, three ounce baby Jesus, Mm -hmm. that he's just all about love. He's all about, Mm -hmm. you know, just acceptance and so the whole idea that uh, we could ever be out of relationship with God or with Jesus, you know, that's just crazy. So we're all, we're all going to heaven then, right? So right. there's that problem. But then there's the other problem that we're so, uh, we, 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 you know, hellfire and brimstone and the, the language of the way we talk about hell is this almost fearful, you need to believe in Jesus or he's going to zap you and then, you know, fry you for an eternity um, and and I, f- I find both of those extremes uh, mm-hmm. unhelpful. So I, I robustly think that, that hell is an actual reality. But I, I actually don't think um, that a lot of the language that we use about, you know, hellfire and eternal torturing. And uh, I, I don't think that's the best way to think about uh, uh, hell. And, and so, you know, what is heaven? What heaven is, is the opportunity for pure relationship with God. What is hell? Hell is a place where people are eternally separated mm-hmm. from God. That's what's really, really clear. And so, you know, language about eternal fire, you know, and eternal torturing, I think are metaphors and lakes, lake of fire yeah. and thing places like that uh, are probably much worse than all that, isn't are, it? <laughs> it? Exactly. Are yeah. yeah. metaphors. You know, it isn't to say that it, that hell is is like a great place, and at all, it's a place where where you are separated from the being that you were created Oof. to be in relationship with, wow. and you, all of your purpose, everything that is good about you is flushed, and everything that's bad about you becomes everything about you. Mm-hmm. And so, there's, I think, uh, you know, but I, so I, I, when we talk about hell, I think we need to absolutely articulate this as an ongoing reality. But we need to be very careful that we don't talk about it in ways that cause people to dismiss the reality uh, of the gospel and, and, and just the reality of, of the theology here. Yeah, and when, when you look at when it says things uh, like God wills that none would perish, that all would be saved, that, that doesn't mean that that is actually going to happen, but it does speak to the heart of God, doesn't it, in terms of what happens for people that are in hell? Because for somebody who would desire a relationship with all of the beings with whom he created— 
then then hell would be a place, it seems to me, within God's heart, that would be a place of grief and lament. It would be a place of what could have been, but what wasn't. Yeah. Um, and, and clearly God does move with active anger in the biblical text, but even that sometimes is misunderstood where we think that that anger is akin to the anger of an abusive parent or something like that, where yeah. somebody just flies off the handle. Every once in a while, God has, you know, his, his temper thermometer gets too hot and he decides to blow off some steam. That's not it at all. His anger no. is sort of this idea of a disappointment mixed with grief in which he will act to move somebody out of the way so that the future can be preserved. Yeah. That's a very different notion of anger, of having to be motivated by disappointment and grief and, and, and lament. It doesn't mean God's not going to act. He, he will not compromise his kingdom and the beauty and the wonder of his kingdom. And for everybody who wants to participate, that kingdom is sovereign and it will remain. And he will act to move people aside if they are preventing others from coming into that kingdom. But it's, but it's even through that, it's through grief and lament as opposed to, I'm going to just rage at you because I can't stand you anymore. And I, I think that's exactly right. Although I would just tweak what you said just ever so slightly. It's not that even that he will act, that he will permit people to walk away from him. So yeah. I love C.S. Lewis's notion of hell as a place where the it's not the door is locked on the outside where you like you throw people in the jail and you lock the door and throw away the key. Yeah. But it's a tragic refuge that the final gift of out of his love, he gives people a place where he will no longer stand at the door and knock. Yeah. So he permits people to say no to him. Yeah. And then the result then is hell. And then again, Everything that, you know, we try to do to make ourselves God, to make ourselves comfortable, to make ourselves happy, that's what we get, right? And think of the incredible suffering of you were created to be this being that was, you know, in relationship with God and now none of that. And all of our petty addictions yeah. and all our, you know, uh, idolatries become all of the sum total of our existence. Uh, yeah, it's just so... It, incredibly tragic to even talk about. Yeah. It. And, and I mean, some of the verses and, and um, invitations that really haunt me sometimes in the biblical text is Jesus is always saying something like, if today you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. And, and so what's so much at stake in this life by having a robust concept of hell that you just described is the idea that if I continue to resist in this life as, as God is whispering and interceding and his voice is coming across my life and I keep saying, no, 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 no my heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder yeah. and harder to the point where I'm actually really almost just choosing that life of absence, yeah. that hardness of heart, that it becomes hardness of heart in its fullness. And you start thinking that that you're the, where you've hardened your heart is actually what's good for you. Yeah, you and exchange the truth of God for a lie. There you go. Yeah, it's that's absolutely that's, you know, you know, Romans one. Yep. Twenty four ish. Right. And, it's, and it says that God is giving yeah. him over to that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Here's a question from a listener. I was wondering in the psalm, it, it, it has headings before the, some of the chapters, like in Psalm 79, it says a psalm of Asaph, or in Psalm 119, it has many headings. What does that mean? Which one of you brainiacs want to answer? <laughs> Jim, it seems like that'd be a great one for you, too. <laughs> I think that's a, isn't that more of a biblical, Peter? That's well, kind of right in your wheelhouse, well, yeah, isn't it? but you teach on the psalms, do you not? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I did. I did uh, We're just ping-ponging until somebody can Google this one, so yes. <laughs> no, I, I, did, I did preach on the psalms. Oh, so good. Year, so you do, so. Yes, this is perfect for you. So my understanding is, and, and I, am, I am neither an Old Testament scholar. Uh, I know a few Old Testament scholars. Maybe that's it. Uh, no, I mean... <laughs> I, so that is that that these were psalms that were uh, for specific contexts, yeah. and uh, and so when when there's that you know text, this is for this or a 
him for this guy. Those are literally just, that's how the original context of the original usage of those Psalms. So the Psalms were collected, you know, many of them written by David, but not all. And they were um, a collection of these powerful uh, Psalms that were used in the life of the uh, nation of Israel and the religious life of the nation of Israel. So, you know, that little, those little headings are just little, you know, kind of tips of the hat to the original usage, the original context uh, of these books of the Psalms, hmm. or these these individual Psalms. So just because I want to remind listeners, if you missed the first hour of today's show, we had Dr. Craig Keener on, and we were talking about a lot of things. One of the things we talked about was miracles. And before we close out our time, when you hear people mm. discussing miracles, does it make you comfortable, uncomfortable, or where do you sit on that? Yeah, boy, that's you know, he's pretty he's pretty persuasive. Oh, is he given ever? both his his research about how people would have understood the miraculous in the first century world of Jesus, but also what he has witnessed himself in this world, and and the invitation to explore the accounts of the hundreds of thousands of eyewitnesses to miracles, and and maybe understand some reasons why we might not believe them, maybe have more to do with us than it has to do with the reality that's of what miracles. I'm afraid of. Yeah. And 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 so you ask the question: Is it comfortable? Um, I think it's it both uncomfortable but invitational uh, is yeah. is to me is is how that how that's landing on me right now, yeah. um, and I wonder what I'm missing potentially me in, too. in all of yeah. this like scholarship about God's yes. kingdom. But you know, is there the possibility that I'm missing something within the power of God's kingdom? Yeah. I found it profoundly uncomfortable because I had to confront. You know, I, I think you asked me, well, what do I think about the miraculous? I'm pretty skeptical toward a lot of the miraculous claims that I hear these days mm-hmm. and maybe with good reason. But uh, to what degree have I let, you know, my baseline disbelief when somebody says, oh, guess what? Uh, God just gave me a million dollars and you should give me a million dollars as well. Right. I, I'm skeptical about that. And so maybe that causes me to be more skeptical than I should be about the reality of the miraculous in contexts, um, maybe that are different than ours. Um, so I, I found it, I found it to be very, uh, uncomfortable, but also maybe, uh, uh convicting perhaps yeah. inviting my, may, for me, it might be more just straight up convicting. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, it was really powerful. I remember uh, reading an account of a, of a, Western anthropologist, I think from Great Britain, Victor Turner and his wife, Edith, they studied in some African tribes for quite some time as part of their sociology. And they told the story, it's too long for now, but they, they referenced the idea of there's a sacred tooth in the village. And so these were skeptics, even non-believers perhaps at this point. And one day the tooth was missing from its sort of sacred place in the village. And there was a woman who got, who fell gravely ill. You can read about these accounts. They write about it and, and, uh, they couldn't find the tooth and, and they figured out what's going on with this woman they ended up operating on her back and the tooth had somehow found its way into her back. So I don't know what to do oh with my. these stories, but other than that, that they exist and they probably, as Craig said, are worth investigating. Yeah. So interesting. Gentlemen, thank you so much for sticking around and being part of the show today. I think I'm, I don't know if I'll even get paid for working today. <laughs> it was a blast to be with you. <laughs> Dr. Bill, it was a blast thank to be with so you Thank you so much. Today. That was yes. last hour. I don't oh, need sorry, to be yeah. Dr. Bill at this hour. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Paul Lee is going to be joining me. He is the executive director of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. It's going to be an interesting uh, discussion with uh, Paul Lee. Be right back.
Welcome back. I'm so glad to have a chance to talk to Paul Lee. He's a retired captain, and he's also the executive director of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers USA. Paul, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. I'm fascinated, first of all, great accent, by the way. Where are you from? I'm I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the choo-choo city. (laughs) Yeah, and tell me about the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers USA. How long has it been around? Well, we've been around for 46 years. We started in in Los Angeles uh, 46 years ago by just two cops that saw a desperate need uh, for Christ inside law enforcement. And they they actually actually, uh, inadvertently attended the same Bible conference in Los Angeles because both of them thought they were the only Christian in the LAPD. Wow. I tell people when they bumped into each other at that conference, at that particular time in LAPD history, the Christian population doubled from one to two. <laughs> two of them. And yeah. uh, they got to looking around going, wait a minute, he's LAPD and he's LAPD. And so they brought these guys together and, and they were like, okay, we're not alone. Now what are we going to do? So they decided to start meeting at the training center once a week to do nothing more than read scripture and pray. Wow. Kind of a novel concept. And that's that's where this ministry was birthed. Wow. So tell me the, the specifics of what the ministry does. It sounds like it's really designed to um, provide training and tools to help the officers in their in their personal life, in their family life, and, all, of course, their spiritual growth. Oh, yeah. Uh, what we do, of course, our mission statement says that through our active local chapters, we create a Christian mindset in peace officers using biblical truths to transform their lives, families, and communities. Because we believe if, if we're not using biblical truth to operate by, we have to ask ourselves, whose truth are we using? And uh, that can just go in all sorts of different directions, you know, because every other truth changes, and biblical truth never changes. So with our, with our, our, our ministry, we concentrate on the officer first, trying to make sure he's, he's calibrated right with God. And uh, we provide a, a lot of material. Some of the material we provide, one of the pieces is a one-year Bible. And that's a, a special Bible that's laid out that you just start turning the pages and you go from January 1 to December the 31st just by turning one page after another. And if you start on today's date, by this time next year, you will have read through the entire Bible cover to cover. And we, you know, we... we emphasize that if we're not in God's Word, reading God's Word totally, then we really don't have a clear picture on what God's Word says and what's expected out of us. And, and I've told many police officers, I've read it a lot of times, and uh, I can't find an exception clause in there for law enforcement. Yeah. We, we have to do it better and cleaner than everybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated. Oh, go ahead, yeah. Paul. I'm I'm fascinated by all the departments that you've got here going on. Bible study, of course, critical. Marriage enrichment, is there a lot of people in in law enforcement that have uh, difficult marriages because of the the work situation? Well, let me me just tell you what our founders saw before there were statistics, and and we've got some statistics on it now, and of course they changed too, but uh, nationally, uh, married law enforcement has a 75% divorce rate. We have nationally a 40% domestic violence rate. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that we're we're beating our spouses or or partners or anything like that, but uh, 
after you've spent eight to 12 hours fixing everybody else's problems and people have, you know, you may have had a, a critical situation that almost scared the life out of you and you go home, well, it's still the real world. Because when you go home, you forgot to take the trash out. Just <laughs> making right. a rattling noise, and right. you know, and, and you got to watch the kids because I need a break, and you know, and all of a sudden you you start snapping, and you say things that you know normal people really wouldn't say, and then all of a sudden you find out you're coming home, and the house is quiet. In fact, nobody will talk to you because they're afraid of you. Mm-hmm. That's used to, and and we got a 25 percent alcohol and prescription drug. Uh, abuse rate, and I actually think that's kind of low. But the biggie is that uh, our suicide rate is higher than our line of duty death rate every year. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, we're we're killing ourselves faster than uh, than bad guys are. Yeah, Paul, I would guess that statistic is pretty high, is much higher. I mean, the the suicide rate compared to the death on the job rate. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I just had a, a police chaplain in my office, and we were we were talking about uh, a situation, and and he was able to get to this officer before any tragedy happened, and get him in a program. And of course, now there's a little arguing over the red tape, but it's too late. He's there. Hey, we're we're helping him. Mm-hmm. I'm real curious as to uh, how the politics of a law enforcement um, office. You've got a precinct, you've got uh, a diverse number of people coming from different faith backgrounds. What is it like for a Christian to be in that environment? Well, in law enforcement, there's not a whole lot of any kind of different faith backgrounds even talked about. Okay. Yeah, it's not even a, it, for the most part, it's it's not a topic. And that's another reason that, that we're so important, because if you're trying to do this job on your own and in your own strength, you're going to fail. Yes. And even if you're trying to do it with, with the strength of the Holy Spirit and you're by yourself, it's a miserable existence. And uh, so, you know, the reason we try to, to bring Christian officers together is so they have that community, so they have that spiritual backup. Uh, in fact, uh, the guys in my chapter, when I first started with FCPO 20-something years ago, we would actually run to each other. You know, if we were mad or irritated before we did anything, said anything, we, we kind of ran to each other, you know, because we recognized what was happening. And and it was funny because on one occasion I was a young lieutenant and, and I ran into a, another Christian officer's office and I was upset about something and, and I was pacing and uh, he said, dude, we need to pray. And I said, I don't want to pray. I want to be mad. And he's no, we need to pray. You know, we, we've got to pray. And so we sat there and prayed, and after we got through, I mean, it was nothing. You know, I don't even remember what it was now, but, you know, it was really, really nothing when you were able to turn loose and let the Holy Spirit have it. And as I was, you know, standing up to leave, there stood another police officer in the corner of this office with his eyes bugging out. I didn't even know he was there, and I called him by name and said, hey, how you doing? And he said, okay. And I left. Well, that became part of that officer's testimony because he got saved shortly after that. Wow. He said, never seen anything like that mm-hmm. before in his life. And uh, so you've got to have you've got to have people around you, you know, to hold you accountable at at every uh, point in this career, on the street, at home, everywhere. 
You, you've just got to have people there to help you. When you uh, look at the absence of, of spiritual connection and talk in precincts today, what would you say, Paul, is the, is the way in which that officers are hired uh, based on their, their character and who they are? I mean, if you take that component out, uh, the spiritual component, and that's not a topic of discussion, I think it would be hard to figure out who are the, the men and women of real character and integrity. Yeah, I don't know how they figured out. Okay. I, was, I was actually on a, uh, on a panel that did assessment centers. And, uh, you know, when you talk about character and, you know, you, you have a little interview section, you go through a series of tests and, and, and situations, and, you know, if they do good, okay, they move on to the next phase, you know, but the, the testing of character you know, it's just really, you know, if you've made it through school, you've got some pretty good grades, you've never been arrested, you hadn't done drugs, and, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're pretty much considered good. And uh, character is, is not so much tested, because I don't know if people really know how to test character, mm-hmm. outside of spiritually. Yeah, of course. But I know that uh, compassion, empathy, integrity is is really what a lot of communities are hoping to get out of their law enforcement officers. Um, and so I'm always curious as to part apart from Christ, how do you show up and and reveal that to your uh, people who are hiring you? Well, you know, I, 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 I didn't do I, drugs. Okay, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, you know, I speak for my, myself. I can't speak for others really, but you know, I, I've. I did the job both ways. I did it without Christ, and then God brought me to my knees, and I finished my career with Christ. And I can tell you, with Christ is the only way to go. Uh, you know, with, with without Christ, I can remember in the academy, and that's been 40 years ago, we uh, sat in a circle, and the psychologists wanted to know why we all wanted to be police officers. And, and all of us had some little answer about, you know, how we wanted to help people. And we were very sincere about it. You know, we wanted to help people. And my father had been a police officer. You know, I just wanted to, to help people to do good. And then we got out on the street and we started seeing things right away that we didn't know existed. And it, it's a shock to the system because I don't know if there's anything that can prepare you for, for what you're going to see out there. And all of a sudden you realize that you've become cold and calloused, you know, that everybody's lying to you and, and, and you know, and what human beings do to each other mm-hmm. is fathomable, you know, and you lose your compassion. It's gone. And uh, it was actually on October 16th, uh, 1995, when God brought me to my knees. Well, Paul, I want to hear more about that. I need to take a little break. Paul Lee is my guest. He's the executive director of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers USA. We'll be back after a short break. Glad to have Paul Lee as my guest. He is the executive director of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers USA. He's a retired Chattanooga Police Department captain, 29 years of law enforcement experience, and he worked on several specialized units, including a hostage negotiator, 
That must have been kind of fun. And I say that. <laughs> I say that kiddingly. Um, and you were also uh, on the SWAT team, so you've kind of done it all, haven't you, Paul? I, I, I had a great career. Yeah. I had a wonderful career. Yeah. I want to go back to uh, uh, your work uh, with the, the uh, Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers, and I'm just curious. Now, you've been in, in business 40 years. Uh, talk about how things have changed for officers, like, let's say, like in the last even five or ten years. Oh, goodness. Well, I've been retired 15. <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to have to take your best educated guess. Are you? We... we We've gone from uh, carrying revolvers and a wooden nightstick mm -hmm. and uh, a very thin and bulletproof vest and to what we have now with cameras and tasers and, and expandable batons and semi-automatic pistols and rifles and, you know, just talking about an evolution, law enforcement has really, really evolved and I don't it's not for the worst I think it's for the better the the issue is you know like we were talking earlier the the compassion for the people mm -hmm. the, and it's it without Christ it's hard to keep compassion right I bet it is and and I I also know just through my personal experience of many people who have served and are serving in law enforcement that really have all these struggles you talk about that the fellowship of of christian peace officers will help address and nurture them in their in their personal life their bible study their family their marriage enrichment that's all uh, really um r really important stuff um i'm curious about what some of your thoughts are just if you don't mind about what's what you're hearing in the news today about defunding police and all of that well i'm always careful with my opinion because I really don't believe anybody wants to hear my opinion. And, they, and I'm okay if you'd rather <laughs> talk about something else. Yeah, well, no. They want to hear their opinion come out of my mouth. <laughs> That's true. What they want to hear. Uh, you know, when we talk about, uh, people talk about defunding the police, I don't think they even agree on what they mean when they're saying that. You know, from what I gather, some want the police removed totally. Some want money taken away from them and, and sent someplace else. And yet, at the same time, they demand excellence. And, you know, that doesn't work, really, from where I've been and what I've seen. You know, we lose police officers because of low pay, high stress. You know, they're exiting right now just left and right with what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you want your police department to be a police department of excellence, then be willing to pay for it. Yeah, no kidding. And then as, if you're willing to pay for it, you make sure the politicians send that money where it's supposed to go. Because a lot of times it doesn't go there. When you have tax increases and they say, we've got to pay the firemen and policemen, well, you know, they're not going to get all of it. That's, you know, that's not the fact they get very little of it. But if you, uh, if you wanted the excellence and were willing to pay for it, and then put demands. You put demands on your public officials. This is what we expect. You know, you don't cut training, you increase training. Mm -hmm. You know, if you cut training, if you cut a training budget, well, you now what are you going to do? You know, well, they should have done this, should have done that. Well, we'd like to have trained them. Yeah. You know, but it's not free. None of that stuff's free. And, and yes, the police departments and the fire departments are the highest paid uh, budget-wise. Uh, 
things inside of city and county government, but it's because they work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Public works doesn't do that. You know, schools don't do that, but police and fire departments, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week that you've got people out there to protect the citizens. Yeah. Paul, I'm a, I was a solid C student, but this thing seems counterintuitive to me that if you're unhappy with the police and you want to defund it, that means that there's going to be less money available for training, which is the very reason you weren't happy with police in the first place, because you didn't like their behavior and their methodology, and now we're reducing training and expecting better results. Help me with this. That's it. That's it. You know, they've... they've I don't know when it started, but for a long time now, even, you know, when, when I was at the department and, and I've been in the private sector too now, and they use the same terminology, so we've got to learn to do more with less. Well, that's impossible. It's, if you just stop and think about it, it sounds real good. And you might do more, but it's not going to be quality. Don't expect quality out mm-hmm. of it. Because you can't have it. You know, we have... We have neighborhoods now, you know, they, they want the public or the police in their neighborhoods. They, they miss the cop on the beat. Well, that's, that's I, I do too. But these guys are running from one call to the next, one right after another. They don't have time to stop and get out of the car and walk around. And if they do get a minute, they're going to take a break to try to unwind. Yeah. Because it's start right back up. Yeah, and I, I would imagine... When your steady diet is listening to people lie to you, that's got to wear you down after a while. It does. It does. But when you're, when, when you're part of something like the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers where you can come back together and remind yourself what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Because it's scripture that tells us exactly what's going on in the world. And, and to me, there's really only two kinds of people in the world and that's lost people and saved people that's it there's no other kinds of people lost and saved and as christian officers we need to look at our jobs and our professions as a ministry as should every other christian out there in the world but especially law enforcement because there's not another there's not another mission field in the world where somebody can pick up the phone and dial 911 and have somebody dispatched to minister to them. Right. The <laughs> right. Law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. What we see on TV, the, you know, the, the police behavior that keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated because it's just the one incident over and over and over and over again till we can get another incident. You know, that's the few and far between stuff. The, ch- car, the car chases, the fights, the shooting. That's. Some officers will never experience that, right. their, even though they're trained. Right. Most of our career is met with dealing with hurting, miserable, broken people. Oh. It's, that's, that's what we deal with. Yeah. And if we're not trained, you know, if we're not trained to deal with them, then, uh, you know, and we don't have compassion, we've lost it, you know, because of the bad guys we've had to deal with, then all of a sudden we start treating everybody the same and we no longer see people through the eyes of Christ. Mm-hmm. Because Christ saw the same people. Right. I mean, in Matthew, you know, it talks about where he's he's traveled through all these towns and stuff, and he's healed people and all kinds of illnesses and, and diseases, and he's preached the good news. 
But when he looks out and sees the crowds, when Jesus sees the crowds, the scriptures say he has compassion on them. Why? Because they're confused and helpless, mm-hmm. like sheep without a shepherd. And if I look out, and when I look at the nightly news, that's exactly what I see. Yeah. Not just on one side, both sides. I see confused and, and hurting people wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. And honestly, I don't think we have a shepherd right now that's standing up. Everybody's going their own way, doing their own thing. Yeah. Well, you're my kind of guy, and I I love the fact that you're sold out to the Lord. You've been in law enforcement. You want to affect other people's lives who are in that position. And I would love, we just have a couple minutes left, but can I get kind of the, um, the elevator talk of how you came to saving faith in Christ? Sure, sure. Uh, it was through a, a series of God-ordained circumstances, uh, and one of them being the death of my mother. But uh, I'm so had sorry. Enough, yeah, and and I had a, I had enough church. I mean, to realize that I was under conviction, and uh, it came to a point after she died that I just I couldn't take it anymore, and I was broken. In fact, I was all those statistics I mentioned to you. I'm a product of those statistics from law enforcement, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I knew what kind of life I had been leading. And when I cried out to God, I told him three things. I said, I give up. I surrender. I've had people give up and surrender to me. When you when you surrender, that means I put the handcuffs on you and you have to go where I say go and do what I say do. You no longer have control. So I was relinquishing control. Mm-hmm. And, and I told God, I throw in the towel, the boxing term, where a fighter has taken so many hits and just won't go down. And his manager thinks he's going to get really hurt or killed. And he throws in the towel to stop the fight. I needed the fight to stop. And I asked Christ to forgive me. And I tell people that very instant, that second, my Lord and my Savior, my King, forgave me of everything. And when I got up, I was a new man. And he started giving me my compassion back and my hunger and thirst for righteousness. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, and that's the kind of hope I can't get enough of hearing. I just love that. And you and you tell your story very well and very succinctly, and I, I love that too. Well, thanks. Yeah. So how can we pray for you and your ministry? Pray for the saved. Okay. That they be bold in their witness. That they would be faithful. Pray for the lost. That they would come to know Christ. That's the way you can pray. Can you imagine a police department that's 100% sold out to Christ, what it would look like? I can't imagine. It would be spectacular. Trans- it'd be transformative. Sure. Sure. It would, it, would tra- it would transform a city. Because they have the most contacts with the most people. Mm-hmm. I said most of the time, the most hurting and miserable people. Yes. The most directionless people, the ones that are on the cusp of maybe going down a road of, of forever criminal activity or turning exactly. their life around and doing something uh, completely the opposite. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're not weak, you know, when, you're, when you live out your faith on the job. They try to, people will try to say, well, you, you can't do that and be a Christian. Well, yeah, you can't. And it's all in Scripture. You can. God has placed us there to, to stand the gap. He's created government. And he also was, when he created government, he was wise enough to know that everybody wasn't going to obey it. Yeah, right. 
So we're there to make sure that people do obey the law and we protect the orphan and the widow and those that can't take care of themselves. That's mm. our job. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul, I still uh, love to, in time, live out the fantasy of uh, watching Mayberry and Andy Griffith and going, yeah. that's law enforcement. There's no yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just go care about people. That's it. Care about people. Just yeah. go care about people. Yeah. Amen. I'm uh, very inspired by what God's laid on your heart to do, and I'm I'm happy to let our listeners know about uh, you and your ministry. And, and uh, now we will, I will pray for uh, the mission God's put on your heart. Thank you so much for doing the show. Well, I appreciate the, the invitation and getting to be with you. Well, that wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much to uh, all of my guests. It was great uh, to talk to Dr. Craig Keener and Dr. Jim Bilby and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Always wonderful and a great uh, testimony and story by uh, Paul Lee. It's been really a great uh, show. Thank you for uh, supporting Faith Radio and listening today. That wraps it up. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.